Thank you for listening to audio from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church or our Sunday services, please visit gccugene.org. Good morning, Gospel Community Church. My name is Ronnie. I'm one of the members here at Gospel Community Church and one of the leaders here. I lead a gospel community group and obviously sometimes take over and and do sermons. And it's my privilege and honor to bring you God's word today. Before we jump into that, I do want to give some quick announcements. The first one would be we have a church center app that we are trying to get everybody on board with and using. You should be able to see it up on your screen. And it's available on the App Store and Google Play. It's a way to be connected to the church and see what's going on throughout the week to connect with our gospel communities. And there's even a way in which you can give on the app itself. And so it's kind of our our way of staying connected, especially during this time. Next, we also have the online schedule, which should be up for you guys to see. And every week what we're doing is a pre-service prayer through Zoom on Sundays. And then these are, these are all just some ways that we're still meeting as a, as a church um, through different applications like Zoom. Our gospel communities are still meeting a Monday through Thursday. So there's a Monday night, a Tuesday night, a Wednesday, a Thursday. Is there two on Wednesday night? I can't. It's a little blurry on my end. Okay. There's two on Wednesday night. Uh, one of them is one that I actually lead with Brian Wakefield. Uh, in West Eugene. And so if you're looking to get plugged in, you can still do that. You can still meet with your community, still come together uh, through prayer and helping to bring the gospel to one another and help meet one another's physical needs, maybe even. So um, those are just some ways we're still connected as a church. Also, uh, there are still opportunities for you to be engaged in giving. And I'm not sure if there's a slide for that. Okay, there is. And so you can give to the church at gccugene.org under the giving tab. Uh, If you do checks, it is still possible to send in checks through the P.O. Box. Is that up? Uh, The P.O. Box right there on the screen. So P.O. Box 41864, Eugene 97404. There's even something that we've set up during this time. A lot of people have been laid off or maybe struggling to meet their financial needs right now. I know of quite a few people that have been laid off for their their jobs just because obviously things have slowed down a lot. And so there's actually a specific benevolence fund set up for people who may need help during this time. So that's a way for us to partner. I, I, I know that it's even been asked for those of us that may still be working and may still be in a, a decent place financially to think about using something like our stimulus checks to help those in the body of Christ here locally at Gospel Community Church during this time that may be struggling. So a uh, great opportunity for us to uh, live what we believe in the gospel and coming and meeting the physical needs of our brothers and sisters of Christ. So we've also been doing, before I jump into the sermon, we've been doing uh, one-minute memes. And so we have a couple, uh, during this time, it's, it's good to still have a sense of humor and laugh. Um, God obviously has a sense of humor. We've all seen pictures of platypuses. But here are just some funny pictures that we've kind of scoured uh, through the internet. Is it right here? Okay. So we have this week on House Hunters, the husband, he gets his $1,200 stimulus check and the wife with hers. And of course, their budget is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, I remember watching that show, but I don't quite get that joke, but okay. (laughs) 
I understand that people often live outside their means if that was what that was supposed to mean. But next is what I believe is a man in Lowe's doing what he's got to do to obey the six-foot social distancing thing. So good for him. Thinking outside the box. I love it. Inflatable pool tubes. Next, it has uh, people normally, and then people do, this is very true. The, the, the trails and everything are clustered with people right now. It, it might have something to do with the weather. But normally everybody's inside. I saw another one that said something like, what was it last year? Parents are like, get off your phone and go outside. And now they're like, get on your phone and stay inside. It's like the exact opposite. It's funny. Next is uh, Billy Mays, 2020. It seems like every second, but wait, there's more. Very funny. And next, this one, you got to kind of know who this is, but this is Van Gogh. And I don't know if you know the story, but he cut off his ear and sent it to his girlfriend. Uh, a little weird. And then this is one, this is my own uh, submission right here. This one I found. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have seen this template, but it's one of my favorites. But he says, y'all pray for us. We ran out of toilet paper, had to start using the newspaper. That sounds awful. Yeah, the times are rough. And then they... They beat him up because it's a terrible dad joke. That's excellent. I love that. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move this just for a second or while, or while we do this. Um, sorry. You might have to move that back. So, yes. As I said, just getting off the memes here for a second. So, that was our one-minute memes. Hope you guys enjoyed that. As I said, my name's Ronnie. For those of you who don't know me, uh, who are maybe new to Gospel Community Church, Welcome. We're glad you're here watching with us. This is a safe place to come and investigate the claims of Christ. If you're not a believer, if you are, uh, if you are a believer and wondering if this is um, a place you'd like to call home, our whole aim and goal here is to make Jesus a hero. It's not about any one person, but it's about a bunch of people coming collectively as a church to lift him up and, and make him the hero, not ourselves. A uh, li little bit about me. Uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, I have a wife and four kids. And uh, this time for us, just as a quick update, has been a little crazy. Uh, work is still going, maybe even more so than usual. And uh, the demands of my family has also increased a little bit. So it's been difficult juggling all these things. Luckily, the semester just ended not too long ago. So that's been a little bit of a, of a reprieve. And um, just know that we've been praying for everybody because we know this has affected people in so many different ways, uh, people out of work, people sick, people dying, people worried about the future, anxious about what the coming months are going to look like. And so we've been in prayer for you. If you want people to be praying for you, I, I highly suggest you get connected to the gospel communities because even in those, I, I know having been part of one, we are bringing prayer requests together to the group and then to the church as a whole to come together and pray through throughout the week. And so we're, we're praying for you and we're also seeking to meet the, the physical needs of those in, that call GCC home as well. So um, highly suggest you get plugged in even during this time. Speaking of prayer, this is a great time to be praying as there's not a whole lot of opportunities to be doing a whole lot else for some of us. So it's an excellent time to be about the work of praying, praying for one another, praying for the world, um, praying that uh, God would kind of move in this situation and bring himself glory through uh, whatever means he sees necessary and, and just being about praying for one another. And, and it's a fitting time that we would come as a church through a series on prayer. 
If you've been watching these lately, Rick has been walking us through a series entitled A Praying People, and we've been using the Lord's Prayer as a model to, to kind of go through and see, well, how did Jesus tell us to pray, and how can we use that and apply it in our own lives when we come to God and pray? And we took a break last week during the Easter service, um, but we're coming back in where Rick left off in Matthew 6.11. So if you want to turn there, and I think it's going to be on the screen as well. No? No? Okay. So, uh, super easy though. Super easy. Matthew 6, 11, and it's seven words. Give us this day our daily bread. Seven words. Uh, not simple in any way. This, this could actually take a long time to unpack, as you'll see later. Some of the words we'll explore in here, but this is where we're going to be today with these seven words. With that, we'll pray and we'll explore the text together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the technology that we're able to use, that we can still come together and hear your word exposited, uh, hear worship music. Uh, it's, it's such, I know my wife has enjoyed, and many of us have enjoyed being able to hear uh, your word preached and hear songs of praise lifted up to you. And we pray during this time that you would be with all the, all the families of Gospel Community Church, all the people that are a part of this community that you would bring them comfort. I pray that we wouldn't look to our, our situation for our hope and, and look and, and be riddled with anxiety or fear over the future, but I pray that our ultimate hope and security would rest in who you are and the promises that you've given us, God. And, and we thank you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as Pastor Rick said earlier in a, in a sermon during this series, I want to provide just a little bit of context before we get into this. As Rick said, Jesus had just gone, gone from teaching the disciples how not to pray by using the example of what he called hypocrites. And then he moves into giving them the model, the Lord's Prayer, as a demonstration of how to pray. And it's interesting when we come to Matthew 6.11, in contrast to the example that Jesus had given and the criticisms that he had thrown against the hypocrites in Matthew 6, 5 through 7, just a couple verses before this one we're looking at today. And it's interesting because their prayers were very prideful. We see that in the way in which they were doing it and the criticisms that Jesus brings, one of them being that they were doing it in public. And it's not that doing it in public is a problem. Uh, we, we do public prayer all the time during the church services and stuff, but he was saying that the heart and intention behind the public prayer was self-exaltation. The purpose was to be out in the street corner praying this big lofty prayer so that everybody around me could see how much of a holy and righteous person I am. Not just that, but Jesus said they would also use very big words or long, strung out prayers, hoping that maybe... Maybe they could twist the arm of the Almighty into giving them what they want. Or even once again, other people could see them using these big words and say, oh, this, this man is so intelligent or he's so spiritual and so religious. Uh, maybe, maybe I can get advice from him. And people would come and ask him and, and it would build himself up and make himself very prideful. So Jesus is, this is the rebuke he's, he's giving against the hypocrites. And the thought is, if I sound and I look really good, Maybe God will appreciate me more, and maybe others will think I'm a more holy person. But Jesus says that this, in and of itself, is the reward. A boost of the ego, and nothing more. 
and potentially even worse. If anything, it could be a false sense of security, thinking that maybe by our prayers or our works, even by what others think of us, that we will somehow find ourselves justified before God. If he will look at us and say that we've done right, we've, we've done exactly what he asked. So it could be a false sense of security that somehow we have enough righteousness in and of ourselves to stand before God on judgment. And Paul alludes to this in 1 Corinthians 4.3 when he says it is a very little that he should be judged by other men. We're not judged by a court of our peers when we die, but we're judged by the king of kings, and it's ultimately his opinion of us that will matter 10,000 years from now, 100,000 years from now, and on into eternity. So, the hypocrites' prayers were all about self. They're about pride, self-exaltation. When you look at Matthew 6.11, the very first word flies in the face of that. Give. This line in the Lord's Prayer starts from a place of need, which, which is very smart, coming to God, the most powerful being in all existence, and asking something of him. Not to mention James 1.17 says that every good and perfect gift comes from God. So it's a good place to start by asking God. And it may seem like a small thing, but any request at all coming before God admits at least one of two things. When you come before God and you're asking him for something, you're saying at least that you don't have everything or that you don't have it all together. And so it's no small thing to come and actually ask God something. And it requires a little bit of humility on our parts to actually come to God. One of my favorite stories of the great King Alexander the Great that I, I've told before and I'll say again just in case you haven't heard it, and it's an awesome story. I really love it. So, um, but there was a philosopher in the court of Alexander the Great who w had outstanding ability but very little financial resources. So, of course, he goes to the king to ask for money. When he goes to the, the king says, you know, you can take what you, whatever you want. Go into the treasury. Take what you need. When going into the treasury, he requested an amount that would be equal to around $50,000 in our own day. And the treasurer immediately denied the request, saying that he needed to verify this. This is way too big of a request. So the treasurer, he goes to the king. He says, this philosopher just came and asked for $50,000. Is that allowed? And Alexander the Great has an awesome response. He says, pay the man at once. For in making this request, he has done me a singular honor. He has understood both my generosity and my wealth. He had done the king an honor in making such a grand request, or making the request at all, understanding that the king was generous and that the king was wealthy. And there's so much to be said about us coming to God and asking anything of him. It's a demonstration of our need, our dependence upon him. It's a recognition of his power and his ability. Uh, it's a reminder of our fragility and our inability and of his nobility. It's a reminder of his goodness, his honor, and his generosity when we come and we ask anything of him. Next in this verse is the word us, give us. Now, I don't, I don't want to beat a dead horse because I know this has been mentioned a lot lately through some of the sermons in GCC, and I know it's going to be mentioned again as we continue to move through the Lord's Prayer. But here in this passage, there's another plural pronoun in the prayer put in a place of prominence by the Prince of Peace. And if that wasn't enough peace for you, I have one more, and it's people. The church is made of people. I use all those P's to help you remember that. You see, he uses the word us, and he uses it as he continues throughout the prayer. 
because the church is a collective body of people. We are the body of Christ. It is more than just ourselves. Even when we're, we're making our prayer requests known to God, we are including. I, I even think like if you're, if you're praying for help in a struggle against sin, we see that later on in the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation. So when you're asking God to deliver you from a certain sin in your life or maybe to put it to death, we're not just praying for ourselves and our own walk with Christ, but that our brothers and sisters would grow as well. And in all different things. There's no request. There's no thing that you would need. There's no thing that you're struggling through yourself that there's not somebody else going through as well. And so it just makes sense as a church to pray together. Clearly, from the model given to us by Christ himself, our prayers have very little to do with me or I. Even in our requests, there's a sense of plurality. And as I said, I, I won't beat a dead horse. I know that's been mentioned before, and I, and I hope it's mentioned as it goes forward. It is something to be remembered as we're making our prayer requests, especially during this time, because there are many people hurting. Next, he says, give us this daily bread. Eat. Now, even in our own time, we all know that bread doesn't last forever. Even more so during the time of Christ, bread did not keep for very long. And, and you could go to a bakery here in America, and uh, I actually go to Jimmy John's. It's, it's like my go-to place for work um, a lot of times. And they sell day-old bread. Now, whether or not the, day, uh, or the bread is actually a day old, we know that that phrase comes from a time where in which bread didn't have as many preservatives as our bread now today has, so they actually literally had to bake bread every single day. So bread, bread is a symbol for provision, more on that later, but Jesus is saying that we need to come to God daily, daily asking him to meet our needs. It's not a one-time prayer we shoot up to heaven, but every day we come to him and we're humbly asking him to provide our every need, not just physical too, and we'll get into more of that as well, but spiritual needs as well. We're asking and coming to God every single day. And for some of us, um, there, there will... First, there's a lot to explore in the word bread. Literally, you could develop a whole biblical theology on bread, and we could do a two-hour study unpacking this. There is a lot with bread in the Bible, but we don't have that kind of time. But it would be an interesting word study if you went and just looked up bread in the Bible. There's a lot to explore there. But in the, in the Bible, and even in the world and culture around us, bread is this universal symbol for life and sustenance. We, in Western culture, we say that the person who's the primary wage earner in the house is the breadwinner. We, we call money bread or dough. We say funny phrases like, let's get this bread, let's obtain this grain, let's, uh, let's go for the dough, let's finagle this bagel, and other funny things like that. But when we say, when we say let's get this bread, it's, not, it's in relation to work. We're not saying, hey, let's go make bread. We're saying, let's work really hard to bring in enough financial resources so that I can go get bread and feed my family. So we're even, we're even calling money bread or the work that we do getting the bread because bread is this universal symbol for sustenance and life. And, and even we see this in the Old Testament. In Exodus 16, God is raining down bread from heaven uh, for the people of Israel as they're going through this empty wilderness. He gives them this bread from heaven that helps sustain their lives and helps bring them through the desert. Now, some of us have probably never gone hungry a day in our lives, especially living in, in America, where it's kind of a place of relative abundance. And it can be hard to understand the anxieties that come from wondering where your next meal is. Um, I feel a little bit of this being a father 
of four kids and having a wife. I, I am the primary breadwinner in my home, and so I feel a little bit of this anxiety. I uh, just share with you guys, I always keep around 30 days of vacation in my work account. Uh, like, in case I get fired, I have another 30 days to find a job, basically. And then I have a savings backed up even after that so that I have enough time to figure out what I'm going to do because it's not just myself anymore. As a single guy, and even once I was married, it was like, well, you know, Nicole can still work if I get fired or something. We can work something out. But when you got four kids, it's like a lot of mouths to feed and you feel kind of like the pressure and the anxiety. And I always like, you know, worry just a little bit more about getting fired when you have a lot of people under your care or under your provision. Um, but also, to help us kind of understand this a little bit more, R.C. Sproul, one of my favorite theologians who passed a couple years ago, gave this, um, this story about an orphanage. After the Korean War, there were many orphanages throughout the countries, and every war is, kind of, is the same. There's usually a lot of orphanages that rise up to take care of a, a need. Well, in the orphanages in Korea, there, there, was, there was food. It wasn't like plenty, but the children were getting fed. However, the orphanages found that a lot of the kids, when they would go to sleep at night, were incredibly restless. They weren't able to actually go to sleep at night. And this anxiety that was causing them to stay up so late was actually because they were wondering where their next meal would come from. They, they didn't know if there would be food the next day. One orphanage actually came up with the bright idea to give every children in the orphanage a piece of bread when they went to sleep to hold on to. And the purpose of it was not to eat the bread, but it was a security blanket and a reminder that they would be provisioned for the next day. So here we see bread is this universal symbol for provision in the Bible, in culture. We understand as humans, we all have physical needs to eat. We need it to survive, to live. Eventually though, food itself will not be enough to sustain us and our flesh will give way to death. Jesus himself even says in John 6, 27, to not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. And then he says, which the Son of Man will give you. And this food that Jesus talks about in John 6 is the bread of life. If you read through John 6, you see it's, it's interesting because he just got done feeding over 5,000 people. They're following him now, and he, he kind of rebukes him in a way because they're only following him for the bread. And he talks about, or, or the people kind of say, well, you know, Moses brought us bread down from heaven. And he's like, well, that first off, that wasn't Moses, that was God. But this is actually, it was a symbol of what I would come to do. Just like that bread rained down from heaven to give them life. I am the bread of life that now comes down from heaven to give eternal life to all of you. Jesus even ends one of his statements in John 6 like this. He says, for this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. It, it's not odd at all that Jesus would go from talking, um, about, talking to the disciples about bread, calling himself the bread of life, and then to giving them the gospel. It's not a weird transition at all. This is because God's plan from the beginning was always part of the gospel was about provision. In the garden with Adam and Eve, it was a place of great abundance where all their needs were met and they were living in close relationship with God. If you look throughout the Old Testament, the promises that God had often given his people were about abundance. It was about um, a land flowing with milk and honey, a cup uh, of wine overflowing and this kind of thing. And now these are physical needs, obviously. But even in the sacrifice of Isaac, Abraham correctly recognizes 
that the Lord is going to provide a means of keeping his promise alive, whether or not Abraham understood it at all, he rightly professes that the Lord will provide a sacrifice. And finally, we come to the problem in our own lives where we find ourselves with a lack of certain provision. Some of us understand it now, but some of us may not recognize it until it is far too late. But there is a a weight, a debt on us. And and it is our our sin before God that we we have accrued over a lifetime this debt that is bearing down on us. And we need some sort of provision, something to stand in the place so that way we could be reconciled to God. There will be no life found in any of us when we come before the Lord if we have no provision, if we have no substitute for us, if we don't have that bread of life in our place. This request for daily bread is obviously, I I believe it is a, a prayer request for daily provision, but I also think it's a, just like we take communion every week, and it's this continual reminder as our bread, as our teeth crush the bread, it's this continual reminder, I've said this many times, that it was, the only thing that we contributed to our salvation was the very sin that made it necessary, is that Jesus went to the cross because we sinned. So he was fulfilling a, a, a great need in his people that needed to be met. So in his call for daily bread, yes, it is for physical substance, but it's also this continual feasting on the body of Christ, this continual living day by day by, on the grace of God, that through every single moment of our lives, we are having this faith in what Christ did that is not just going to carry us into eternity one day, but it is carrying us through this life now. Every day, this is why in our gospel community groups and even our gospel leadership cohort, we're constantly trying to... Uh, urge and stir one another on to speak the gospel into different areas of life because this is ultimately what is going to be the substance that gives us life. This is the bread that we feast on continually. When we come to different situations, we remind one another that our hope isn't in this world or this situation, but it's in the gospel that Jesus came, provided himself as the ultimate sacrifice so that we could be seen by God as perfect and holy, as having completely fulfilled the law. And so we come into eternity by feasting upon the bread of life, which is Jesus Christ. In closing, we pray this prayer, and we pray this petition in the Lord's Prayer, humbly, that first verse, humbly, or that first word, give, humbly admitting our great and daily need for, yes, God's physical provision in our lives, but also that he would carry us into our death day by day through the blood of his through the blood of Christ and his grace given to us so that we will have life evermore in this life now and in the one to come. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I I know it's difficult for many of us to humble ourselves to even asking other people help. Even during a time like this, it can be difficult to come and ask, uh, let alone to come and ask you, God. But I pray that you would humble us, that we would see our great need for your care, for your provision, not just in this life, but in the one to come, that you are the only one that will sustain us for all of eternity, the only one capable and powerful enough to be able to do such a thing. I pray that in praying this petition and using this model in our own prayers, we see our great need and are reminded how how we need you daily, not just once, but we need you continually every day in our lives, especially during such a difficult time like this, that we need your grace present with us.
We love you, God. Amen.